From Maine Public Radio and mainepublic.org, I'm Robbie Feinberg with the news on this day in Maine, Monday, February 27th, 2023. This Day in Maine is made possible by listener support and by Eastern Basements, a division of Maine-owned Eastern Mold Remediation. Offering basement waterproofing solutions, easternbasements.com. Two mid-coast women who had been missing since last Tuesday were found yesterday evening near Nicotouse Lake, a remote part of Hancock County. A main game warden traveling by snowmobile found 51-year-old Kimberly Pichard and 50-year-old Angela Bussell inside their red Jeep Compass. The women, who, according to their families, have intellectual disabilities and can become disoriented, got lost on their way to the main mall last week and drove to Massachusetts and New Hampshire. They were later seen on security footage throughout the week in Springfield and Lincoln, Maine. Game Warden Lieutenant Dan Menard says the women had kept their car running to keep warm most nights until Saturday when they got stuck in the snow on an unplowed road in East Hancock, where temperatures had fallen well below zero. So they had run out of gas just the night before we had found them. So that was probably the reason why this this ended up as, as it did and not something more tragic. Both women were transported to Penobscot Valley Hospital in Lincoln. Menard says it didn't appear that the women suffered any significant injuries but couldn't provide details on their conditions. Immigration advocates in Maine are condemning a proposed federal rule that would restrict entry for asylum seekers at the southern border. The rule would bar entry to many individuals if they don't schedule an appointment at a border crossing in advance of their arrival, or if they don't seek asylum in one of the countries they traveled through on the way to the United States. Lisa Paricio with the Immigrant Legal Advocacy Project says the proposed rule is overly restrictive for a certain group of people, noting that President Biden on a recent trip to Poland praised that country for welcoming one and a half million mostly white Ukrainians. In effect, you know, this rule is blocking asylum for black and brown people who have no other way to enter the country. Paricio says ILAP is joining advocacy groups across the country, urging the administration to reverse course on the proposed rule. The Aroostook Center Mall in Presque Isle will be closed, quote, until further notice because the building's owners haven't paid utility bills. In a statement shared on social media, General Manager Bruce Brigman says that both electric and water service will be shut off this week, and Brigman says he can't safely open the mall without them. Brigman says that he's been unable to communicate with the operations department for building owner Cohan Retail Investment Group. Cohan, which owns dozens of malls across the country, purchased the Aroostook Center Mall in 2019. Officials at Cohan Retail were unavailable for immediate comment, but a woman who answered the phone said that the company was seeking more information from the mall's management. In other news, Unity College is changing its name to Unity Environmental University, a move that school officials say will better reflect its growth and new programs. President Melik Peter Corey says the school is no longer just a small liberal arts college, but now has more than 5,000 students across the country taking a range of degree programs remotely. Our biggest population of students actually are in places like California, Florida, Texas, Oregon. Near the beginning of the pandemic, the school announced plans to move away from a traditional campus model to become more of a hybrid as it dealt with budget challenges. 
Unity also opened a technical institute in New Gloucester, which is now the university's headquarters. And now let's get a check on the weather with meteorologist Eric Weglars. Here's your main public weather forecast for Monday afternoon and beyond. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. The winter weather advisory continues for the mountains, central and western interiors, Portland metro, midcoast and southwest beaches. We'll see high clouds increase this afternoon. Temperatures will hold in the middle 20s north and in the mountains, the upper 20s and lower 30s elsewhere. A northeast wind at 5 to 10 miles per hour. We'll see overcast skies tonight. Light and briefly moderate snow will arrive west of Augusta. Lows will fall back to as low as 5 below north to as high as the teens and lower 20s along the coastline. Mostly the teens across the interior. We'll see periods of moderate snow continue west of Augusta tomorrow, especially north and west of Portland. White snow, though, does overspread the rest of the state. Temperatures will climb into the middle and upper 20s north and the upper 20s and lower 30s. A general 4 to 8 inches of snow are expected in the advisory area. Isolated amounts of 8 to 12, though, expected inland. Snow tapers off later Tuesday into Wednesday. That's your latest forecast. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. A reminder, you can always visit mainpublic.org for a detailed forecast for your listening area. Maine tribal members couldn't vote when the Baxter State Park Authority was created in 1931. Now lawmakers are considering whether a tribal member should have a say in how the park is run. But as Caitlin Andrews reports, the idea is encountering opposition from the state and from park stakeholders. A bill sponsored by Democrat Ben Collins of Portland would expand the authority from three members to four by adding a tribal member chosen by the tribes. Currently the director of the Maine Forest Service, the commissioner of the Inland, Fisheries, and Wildlife Department, and Maine's attorney general serve on the board. They control the park's management and execute its trust. The authority is against the bill, but is open to other suggestions on how to include Wabanaki voices in the park's management. I think I can speak for all the authority to say that we're, we're absolutely open to, to gaining the trust of tribal members and um, looking for ways of, of inclusion and, and working with them. Maine Forest Service Director Patty Cormier is the authority's chair. She says the board may discuss several options at its next meeting, including adding a tribal member to park staff. But that might not be enough for supporters. During a public hearing on the bill in February, Collings said it would help right some of the historical wrongs against the tribes and ensure the park's management is considered through an indigenous lens. How can we honor a good concept, Baxter State Park, it's it's great, right? It's, it was great. It was wonderful what happened. But at the same time, acknowledge the history and have some inclusion. The legislature has added Wabanaki participation to the Inland Fisheries and Wildlife Advisory Council, the University of Maine Systems Board of Trustees, and the Maine Criminal Justice Academy's Board of Trustees since 2019. But Baxter State Park is unique. It is the home of Katahdin, a mountain of spiritual significance to tribes in Maine. Governor Percival Baxter bought the land surrounding it over time and gifted it to the state. But the tribe's relationship to the land continues, said former Penobscot Nation Chief Barry Dana. And even though we weren't supposed to be doing ceremony there because the park has its rules, I can tell you, don't tell anyone else, people were still going there doing ceremonies, even though it was under the cover of night or or just, you know, whatever, however means they had to do it. For decades, Baxter State Park has been governed by a trust. Opponents say altering it in any way would violate Baxter's wishes. We understand that the sponsors and supporters of LD-294 have worthy objection, objectives, which we share. 
Friends of Baxter State Park member Ellen Bowum said adding Wabanaki voices to the park's management is important. However, for the legislature to interfere with the operations of Baxter State Park would set a terrible precedent. That drew this question from Democratic Senator Craig Hickman of Winthrop. How do the friends reconcile the fact that this great gift to Maine of land is actually unceded land of the Wabanaki to begin with? You're asking the question that we're trying to get to. What is the way that we develop the right kind of working relationships and bring the Wabanaki and their interest into the park? Attorney General Aaron Fry said if violated, the trust could revert to Baxter's heirs, who would then decide what to do with the park. This legislature doesn't have to continue to accept the terms of that trust, but that doesn't mean that it's within the power of the legislature to direct what happens to Baxter State Park at that point. Fry said previous attempts to add members to the authority have failed, and the issue has never been taken up in court, where Fry said this bill may end up should it pass. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Caitlin Andrews. Mainers drive more than 15 billion miles a year, and transportation is the state's largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. But working remotely can reduce those numbers, and state employees are offering a test case for how much of an impact remote work can have. Climate reporter Murray Carpenter looked into this for our series Climate Driven from Kennebec County, where many state employees are commuting less often to offices in Augusta. So, Murray, we know that Mainers drive a lot. It's difficult to imagine getting almost anywhere without a car. Have we always driven this much? Well, not really. The trend has been increasing over the decades. By 2019, Mainers were driving about 30% more miles than 30 years earlier, even though the population had only grown about 10% in that time. 2019 was also the year that former legislator Seth Berry sponsored a bill to encourage the state to set a goal of having 30% of state employees teleworking by 2030. And the idea was to reduce uh, carbon emissions. And it seemed ambitious at the time, but then everything changed in 2020. Yeah, 2020, everything really changed during that year when the pandemic hit. Yeah, when everyone hunkered down at home, driving miles really dropped uh, to numbers not seen since 1997. Barry told me that the pandemic had a big unanticipated impact on remote working. Everyone was forced to telework that that could, and it really um, accelerated the transition. We did, in fact, reach that goal already. Uh, We're at 32% of employees engaged in at least a day of telework, which is, you know, essentially the goal that I had hoped for by 2030. And that 32% number, we, we know that number because the bill that Barry sponsored ended up being a resolve that directed the state to study costs and benefits of telework for its employees. Uh, they discovered some really compelling information on just how much telework could benefit the climate. What kind of stuff did they find? First off, they found that the average state employee commutes about 44 miles round trip each day. And by working remotely, they estimate that state employees are burning a million fewer gallons of gas every year. And they're driving 22 million fewer miles annually. That number equals 46 round trips to the moon. Wow, that is a pretty significant impact. So how much are state agencies actually embracing this whole shift so far? It varies from department to department. Uh, The Department of Environmental Protection is being proactive here, and they're designing some spaces with remote working in mind. Uh, They've got these hoteling workspaces, which are specifically designed for people who aren't in the office full time. 
they're equipping conference rooms with equipment to uh, with AV equipment to support virtual meetings. And spokesman David Modore told me DEP is specifically interested in the climate benefits of remote work. They've calculated that the average employee releases 32 pounds of CO2 daily as a result of single passenger commuting. But Alec Maybarduk of the Maine Service Employees Association, that's a union that represents 9,000 state employees, would like to see the state do more to support remote work. He says the work that state employees performed during the peak of the pandemic shows how effective they can be while working remotely. And he pointed out that we've gone backwards a bit since then. Huh, so, so how have we gone backwards? Well, at the peak of the pandemic, estimates showed that state employees were commuting a million fewer miles a week by working remotely. But now the state says employees are only commuting about 420,000 fewer miles a week. So the reduction in driving is only about half of what it was in 2020. And it's not just state employees that are returning to their old driving habits. As we've resumed our normal routines, uh, statewide driving numbers are just ticking back up. Economists will tell you that's a good thing, but climatologists would probably disagree. And this is, this is a real challenge here because DOT projections are for driving miles to increase steadily in coming years. And this conflicts directly with the goals in the state climate plan of reducing driving miles. So I also spoke with Josh Caldwell of the Natural Resources Council of Maine, and he noted that remote working is predicated on improving high-speed internet all across the state. And he said remote work is just one piece of the transportation puzzle. Remote options are, are one of many forms of diversification we need to take when it comes to our transportation system. You know, that can take the form of more robust public transit and on-demand services, better walking and biking infrastructure, and of course, more electric cars, trucks, and bikes. Yeah, so there are clearly a lot of factors in this climate and remote work equation here in Maine. Murray, you have, you have taken a very deep dive into all of this. What's your overall takeaway of just what this push by state government could mean for the whole state going forward? Well, state employees just give us a glimpse of the climate benefits of remote work. And it's important to understand this because so many Mainers are now working remotely, but there are a lot of jobs still that you just can't do remotely. And so this is just going to be one arrow in the transportation quiver. But reducing the climate impacts of driving will be a constant and growing challenge for Maine. Murray Carpenter is Maine Public's climate reporter. Murray, thank you so much. Thank you, Robbie. And you can listen to all of the stories in our Climate Driven series. You can find those online at mainepublicorg slash climate driven. And that's today's main news. For more stories, visit mainepublic.org. And coming up on Maine Calling at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, a conversation on teaching black history in Maine schools. I'm Robbie Feinberg. Thanks for listening. <laughs>